Hello, and welcome to The Assembly Line, an NES homebrew podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin from K-Hand Games. I'm Bo from Soul Goose Productions. And we're here to talk about homebrews. How do you feel about homebrews, Bo? I, you know, I feel pretty good about homebrews, Kevin. How about you? You know, I like them. I like to play them. I like to see them being made. I like I to see how the community is sort of taking shape over all these years. It's fun. Well, that's one of the interesting things about homebrews is that it is a very community effort. Uh, what we support and, you know, with, with words, with, with activity, with financial things at times, um, that is what we kind of end up seeing in the, in the community. Like, that's what gets produced, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, it has been interesting kind of seeing how it's transpired, like how things have transpired over the years. Because when, you know, when homebrew as a scene was sort of first starting to take shape as far as like using aftermarket parts like still at that point there were only like one or two projects coming out a year maybe and now it seems like there's one every other week uh which is uh both exciting and a little confusing yeah a little bit uh so with it being driven largely by the community what sort of different attitudes have you seen from supporters that over the years you know what do they want to, what do different people tend to want to see come out of what we do? Well, I think this can probably be broken up into a few categories. First off, you have the people that are kind of just wanting to buy and support everything. And, and for a long time, you know, it, it was easy to do that because um, with fewer projects coming out and just sort of wanting to encourage you know the growth of the scene you would want to sort of you know shell out some money um just to show people that you appreciate what they're doing and and that kind of thing so that's that's the first one that kind of comes to mind for me yeah that's that's a pretty you know basic support everything uh attitude i've been in that category myself at times what else have you seen so i think another one is the people that kind of they see the love of the person you know who's putting sort of they're they're making their dreams come true by by making a game that either they've wanted to make since childhood or just they're doing it for the love of it and people want to sort of give them you know financial support to encourage them to sort of continue pursuing their dreams yeah most people don't just sit down one day and are like you know i've never played the nes i have no attachment to it i think i'm just going to make some games for it and we'll see where that goes um <laughs> most people are living out some sort of either childhood adult personal dream in some way and uh, which is it's interesting to see because you can actually ask them you know why are you doing this why are you waking up or staying up late and devoting hundreds or thousands of hours into this what amounts to sometimes being a rather small project uh, in the mm-hmm. greater scheme of things because, you know, you've got to learn from scratch what to do. And so to be able to support that, you can actually see what your support is doing, encouraging people on, you know, offering to test, giving feedback, purchasing the game when it comes out. Like it it has a real impact on their their dream on, on the reception side. Yeah, and that's a good point. I, I know that I've been sort of, you know, in these answers, been focusing on financial support, but but even like you said to start, like even something as small as like writing encouraging words or offering to help with ideas or testing, um, that sort of encouragement certainly goes a long way. Well, if you look at some of the early uh, projects, things like Sudoku or Civax early stuff, people would those threads have 
hundreds or thousands of views and so much more level of activity than we sometimes see these days when a lot of us, you know, we're developing stuff but not really talking about it or just, you know, there's just so many that people, the community is a lot bigger than it once was. And so back back in the day, like the sheer fact that something was new was was enough. And now sometimes I don't know if people just don't get involved as much or it just depends on the project or what. I think that's an interesting thing that we might want to talk about in the future um because like like you said like back in the day there were fewer people but more activity in each game development threads and nowadays it seems like when someone goes into you know the brewery and they post oh you know i have this new game coming out you're lucky if you get 10 replies it's really bizarre yeah you still get a lot of views though and i don't know about you but i i tend to get a lot of private uh, emails or messages with with some nice stuff to say or just good feedback or Mm-hmm. sometimes not so nice things to say but that's all right i don't mind so i've given two examples do you have any examples of different different categories um a different one that's arisen you know in the time between the earliest little uh puzzle type game projects and whatnot has been the category of people that really want to see licensed quality games things that are on mm-hmm. par with you know the license the best of the license catalog Right. And those are the projects that they tend to support with, you know, words, money and uh, encouragement. (laughs) Yeah, there seems to be a lot more of that these days. And these are games that you definitely I don't think would have seen a decade ago. You have people sort of finding their groove um, and and sort of mastering their craft. And I, I think as more people come into the scene that see the sort of groundwork that's been laid, they they see that it's possible to sort of pursue this dream of making this really really quality game um and i think that uh people are are definitely quick to support those these days yeah sometimes i mean some people still want it to be this small thing where people are just living their dreams other people still just want to see anything and everything but there are an increasing number of people that there's a standard and they they hold things up to that yeah so you're saying that people are waiting for these projects to come out and only sort of showing support to these higher quality games I don't know if that's it. I mean, I think they're still interested in the community. They're still aware of what else is going on. Mm-hmm. But I think they they kind of reserve their, their dollars and their testing time for these uh, larger projects, which, yeah. you know, that if that's what you want to see come out of the community, then that's that's the attitude to take because what we put in is what we're going to get out. So if, if, you know, you are supporting people living their dreams and, you know, that one that's i like that category a lot because i i tend to at different times i've been sort of in all three where mm-hmm. you know I've, I've bought anything and everything i've offered to test whatever and there's you know i've also done that for a good share of licensed quality projects um but the living the dream one i like because you take somebody and if somebody's new it doesn't matter to me anyways it doesn't matter what they're doing like it's fascinating they're learning they're you know going through all the 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 hoops and hurdles and they're they have something inside that they want to get out and i love supporting those first projects and it's been interesting seeing the new people come into the scene and see you know sort of where they're coming from in life and seeing the direction that they take their various first projects you know some people are just starting out with you know a little tech demo or some like small single screen game but then others are just launching straight into an elaborate sort of dream project that turns out to be, you know, of licensed quality. So it's it's really fascinating to me just watching the different people that are coming in and, and where they're going. 
I find them them to be very mm-hmm. admirable, big or small. Um, just very interesting to see. So, are you saying, you know, t- given these three categories, are you saying that you're somewhere in between wanting to see people live their dreams and support that, and you know, wanting to support the licensed quality and and anything and everything? Sometimes I like to, you know, support yeah. anything and everything, but I think these days I'm probably more between the, you know, a first effort. I love to support. Just I just want to see whatever they have to do, but I'm also really enjoying seeing seeing the licensed stuff and. You know, if that's what I want to see, then I th- actually think my dollars lately have reflected that I've I've become, you know, a little pickier with with what I end up throwing throwing money at. Right. And I know you've said this a couple times now, but it bears sort of touching on again. What you support is sort of what you wind up seeing in the community, you know, coming out. Yeah, it's like the last thing we need, I think, is another uh, Kahan game, right? <laughs> well, hold on to that thought because... Uh... There's something in the pipeline. Well, the nice thing about what we do is that, you know, all these are real people. Very few of these people are just, you know, businesses in this to make money. So you, you know, get to know the people that you're supporting, get to know what their projects are and and take a real interest, not just financially, but in terms of time and and support and and whatnot. Yeah, I think that there was a time um a couple years ago where the scene was really in a sort of a transitional period where where people were sort of coming in seeing that there was money to be made and and trying to crank things out but i think things have settled down to where the current sort of state of things is uh everyone's here doing it uh for the right reasons and everyone is 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 it seems like the community is very closely tight knit right now everyone is uh, just wanting to support everyone else uh, in any way they can. But honestly, in the grand scheme of things, none of what we're saying is going to make a difference because the homebrew bubble is bursting. Oh, I have heard that it's uh, it's on its way out. <laughs> Doom and gloom, man. And in speaking about the homebrew bubble, one at some point has to reckon with the man who really strove to jack the prices up. Uh, this would be the great Kevin Hanley, of course. And we are going to take him off air for a little bit so I can say these hurtful, shameful things. Uh, Tim from Retrotainment Games is going to come on, and we are going to cover one of Kevin's games. We did one of mine a few back, and Tim from Orab, different Tim, uh, from Orab Games came on. He interviewed me, and now we're going to have Tim from Retrotainment. Hey, guys, how's it going out there? Thanks for having me on. Oh, thank you for volunteering. Uh, we both took the time to sort of look at the incident, uh, which was Kevin's 13th, 14th game? It's up there. It's up there, at least. And so, yeah, well, what is the incident, Tim? Well, I feel it's one of the best homebrew games that uh, has ever been made, for sure. It's actually my go-to game when I'm either at small shows or big conventions. When people ask me, you know, what other games in the scene should I play? I immediately go to this one. I think it's... Uh, it embodies what a homebrew should be, and the depth that he put into this, it shows in the gameplay. Uh, the music is super rad, and the vibe, the overall vibe of the game is just, it's unrivaled in my opinion. But what is it? It's a puzzle game. Oh, a puzzle game. Well, yeah. do describe. Well, it's a block-pushing puzzle game that will tear your soul out. Oh, soul? It is my, I mean, it. it is excruciating at times. It is joyous at times and and sometimes you're just staring at the screen trying to figure out these maniacal puzzles that have been created um 
but it's it's an absolute blast. So you're running, you're jumping, you're shooting things in these quests to solve puzzles. No, definitely not. You're um, you're a robot, uh, one of three different robots depending on where you are in the game, and um, you're pushing blocks around into these safe zones so that uh, you can continue on to the next level. Which, as we know, there's over a hundred levels in this game, and um, I don't feel like I'm describing it correctly, which is what I feel at the conventions <laughs> when I, I tell people, you have to play this game, and they're like, what is it? I say it's a puzzle game, and then they want more, and it's, it's somewhat hard to describe because if you haven't committed time to the game, it's hard in a few sentences just to tell what exactly it is. Would you agree with that? No, you, it's, it's a Sokoban clone. It's easy. Oh, no, it's no, nothing no, new no, here. No, no, no. See, that's no. <laughs> that's terrible. No, it's a yeah, block pushing puzzler. You you got a few blocks around the screen. You're limited in your moves. Uh, you can if you push them against a wall, you can't get them out. And so you have to solve the puzzle, you know, without making any mistakes. And you got to get your blocks into their homes. I think was the uh, language that uh, Mr. Hanley used at one point. Right, and if you get stuck, you'll use the uh, button you use mostly, which is the suicide select oh, yes. button. Suicide button. So yeah, if you get stuck. That's what you have to do in order to start that level over, and um, it's challenging. Yeah, even without lives or continues or any of that, you, you know, it's it's an endless it's an, yeah, life right. game. But uh, you still sit there sometimes for 10, 20, 30 minutes staring at the puzzle before you you know even make your first move. Sometimes, Not right? Always. Well, it's it's a rare game where you spend a lot more time thinking and planning mm-hmm. rather than actually moving. This is very true on the screen. Oh yeah. So Kevin, in his classic style, uh, didn't just stick with the normal gameplay elements. He created a whole narrative, and sort of the narrative behind this block-pushing puzzler is, we appreciate your interest in cyclone engineering. When I started the company back in 1974, I saw a future in which humans and robots could coexist, with the robots taking over the manual labor jobs that we as humans have had to endure for so long. Keeping our own warehouses organized proved to be a truly dreadful task in itself, so I wanted our first project to be a robot that could keep all of our boxes organized. It took a long time, and God knows we went through a lot of prototypes. But ladies and gentlemen, I am thrilled to say that today, on this very day, you are going to finally see the fruits of our labor. Imagine a world where mankind no longer has to deal with the manual labor of pushing boxes. That dream is fiction no more. May I introduce model KSS? 084, or as we like to call him, Sam. Dr. Christopher Davies, TED Talks Conference, December 19th, 2015. And yet we are left with this haunting future where there are no humans, just robots in a warehouse. And we are left to question what is the incident that took place. But beyond those heavy, heavy things, uh, yeah, we got a great game here with uh, some, some block pushing, some puzzling, Oh, and, the, and the vibe that he's got, oh, like yes, what you please, just read, please. you know, it probably captivated our audience. Absolutely. I do but have the voice for you it. You have the voice for radio. Actually, you have a face for radio. Ah, there it is. But the vibe of the game is, it's haunting. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's the kind of game you want to play late at night and just power through it. Oh, yes. Um, uninterrupted, without the cell phone going off or you know, people annoying you and talking to you. You just want to immerse yourself in the game in the dark and play it. It's well, it's spectacular. It's a very dark game to begin with. A lot of heavy black saturation with the graphics and whatnot. True, but, uh, true. It definitely lends itself to, I don't know, the music. It's, it's a whole atmosphere. Yes, he's created one hell of an atmosphere. So what's the level progression like? Well, 
some people will say level one is extremely hard or one of the harder levels in the early uh, in the early levels. Which, I hate level one. Which it's t- it's a little tough. You just you just gotta you gotta commit and you gotta you gotta think like you're Sam. You gotta be Sam. Um, <laughs> you're yeah, a me- you're at, a method player, aren't right? You? As you progress, you know you earn solution points with every third level. What's a solution point? A solution point is something that um, you gain and then you use them in order to purchase solutions for screens or levels that you're stuck on. Yeah, so Sam will actually then solve the puzzle while you watch it. He'll right. push all the blocks and do his thing, and that is your solution, and then you get to go on to the next. Which right, is- it's like you get out of jail free card. Yeah, it's kind of nice. You don't see a lot of games, especially puzzle games. They really make you work for every last thing, but Kevin built a little bit of... Uh, right niceness into it yeah of course you can challenge yourself i never use solutions but uh oh really oh who would use solutions uh, you're correct well never mind oh, that was a that was a shame inducing comment i know well here's what i'm gonna say though you have to be careful with what solution the solutions that you do purchase because you're going to need them later in the game around 68 69 it gets mm. really tough i've heard some people talk about i think level 84 as being yeah by far 68 hardest. was my nemesis, the eel, oh, badass eel. level. Okay. Yes. Uh, you, you also start early in the game, you're just pressing, pushing two blocks into their homes, and then as the game goes, there's more and more blocks uh, to try to you know coordinate. You have to coordinate between all of them. Right, you know, the complexity goes way up when you're involving more variables like that. Yeah, if you push one in, it blocks the others from, from getting in or locks you in. But there's also... Along with the narrative, you encounter different robots throughout the story. You have uh, Sam and Claire and Kate. And uh, there's also different narrative portions between things where you'll get... The, the first one opens up with uh, parts of that uh, Dr. Christopher Davies thing that I read earlier. But then you get you get other snippets to sort right. of piece together this, this narrative that is, is very well done. Right. Uh, it takes a puzzle game and it just... Puts, I wouldn't say a twist on it, but it adds so much more to the lore of the game because the game is a puzzle game, but it has that, that story and that mystery within it. It's pretty cool. It's so much more, for lack of a better word, adult than like Lolo when, you know, little blob thing's girlfriend gets captured and you see it all happen. Like you actually have to, you get into this one a little, a little right. more. Right. To get the full, to really appreciate it, you have to read and understand and follow along. You do have to read quick, though, because those are timed segments, You're and they're not right. based on button presses, and it seems like a beta tester would have caught that, but hey, whatever. Hmm. I didn't test this project. <laughs> I know a couple people that did. I've heard some people, yeah. Uh, so there's the push counter, too, which each time you make a movement, it um, counts for, for a push. Like It, it keeps track of the, the movements you've made, and that's both continuous and for based off of even if you suicide, it keeps racking up and there's also like the per attempt push count and so you really you could challenge other people i, I scoreboard was never really implemented in this one or, or yeah, any i didn't sort of, see it on there yeah any sort of scoring system but there's definitely room to kind of challenge yourself or challenge your friends and it's sort of neat oh and level names are always interesting um very eager to ask kevin about those because they're i don't know Hopefully, hopefully we can get him on to ask him. I hope so. Yeah. Where, yeah. Where do the level names come from? And um, you know, you going back to that push counter. You know, I don't think a lot of people worry about it early on, but as you get more time put into the game, you start to realize that that has value. Like those statistics, I like that he put that in. Yeah, they're not really highlighted. They're one of those things that you sort of realize 
as you go through the game, after you, you're not as focused, you maybe hit one of those levels where it takes you 20 minutes and you're like, Oh, what's this counter up there? And so you start pushing blocks. Like, oh my goodness. That increases the counter. That, that's no good. I right. need, I need to quit doing that. You're going to think more yeah. and move less when you, do, when you see that for the first time. Well, and you get your total count, uh, between every 10 levels or so between those segments, it'll, it'll give you, you know, your, your count oh, right. total. And right. Things right. Like Which I like. Yeah, yeah. As a stats guy. Yeah. Uh, baseball fan, aren't you? A little bit. A little bit. Base, baseball stars? Was that what we talked oh, about last year when yeah. you were on? Yeah, Greg and I have had some serious battles. <laughs> I'm a big fan of him putting that level editor in. Um, I have a, In fact, I think we have a question or two that we're going to ask him about that because I'd like to know, you know, is anybody making some levels that, that are really good and challenging that maybe he wishes was in the game? I think it really puts us in a position of, you know, once you love the game, then you can start creating your own levels and implementing them and sharing them, which is a really cool addition to a standard game like this yeah you don't see i mean you see it sometimes and it's it's interesting that the level creator was added after the fact and it wasn't his own tool to build the the game but um yeah it's it's always interesting i like the level editor yeah i like the functionality it's easy to use oh yeah it's very easy to use of course there's only a few blocks and stuff like that but it's the basics which is all you really need for this game right and of course this was one of the first games that used GT-ROM, uh, the board developed by Memblers, which supported flash saving. So you have those 120 levels, and if you don't finish them all in one sitting, which <laughs> you probably won't, right. um, you can save your progress, come back to it, You know, assuming, uh, assuming Kevin programs it correctly. Yeah, that it's it'll save your ass, and really, this game is worth every penny because it's vast. It, you know, over, what, 120 levels, like you said, and... The ability to save and come back to it when you're stumped is awesome. Yeah, and we've talked. Uh, well, I've talked a little bit of trash about uh, Mr. Hanley. So should we should we let him in, or should we still keep him out? Yeah, kick the door open. Let's get all him in. All right, here. all right. Well, we can get him in here. Kevin, you there? Hello. Hey, there buddy. There he is. There it is. <laughs> so, thought you'd make. I was having some technical issues. Oh, there. it's that weather in Florida, eh? No, you just gotta you gotta click the button. Oh, okay. I have to plug in the microphone. Yes, that. <laughs> so i guess i mean welcome aboard it's it's good to see you uh, thank you Do, can you see me no but it's weird because i've actually i've talked to tim more than i've talked to you lately so it's just it's oh and it's that bad it's a shift oh <laughs> no it's, it's different <laughs> it's, yeah but we, this, we, we both love baseball stars though so oh, we yeah. have that we had a good Fools. battle at, at uh magfest oh, man rbi yeah, that's did. where it's at no get out of here get out of here with your simple Okay, well, trash talk aside, I guess first and foremost, where did the idea for the incident come from? What caused you to sort of want to make a block-pushing puzzler, and potentially what games uh, influenced the design and development process? Well, you know, this goes back to a mobile game, um, and I don't remember specifically what the name of the game was. Angry Burns? No, I wasn't Angry Birds. <laughs> um, no, there was every once in a while, you know, when smartphones first came out, I would every once in a while, like once a year, I would look up like top mobile games just because I always have a hard time getting into mobile gaming. Like I, I just for some reason, I f- don't find a lot of enjoyment in it. But I came across this one game and it was a puzzle game, but it, it encapsulated like five or six different puzzle game types one of which was a block pushing puzzle game and 
you know, as I play through the game, it forces you to sort of play all of the puzzle game types, but I every time it would come across a puzzle, like a block-pushing puzzler, I just fell more and more sort of in love with that type. So I thought, why don't why why can't I just play this as a whole game? Like I want a whole game of just block-pushing puzzles. Like it's just fun. There's something about it that I was drawn to. So to start out, I took the 16 levels from that game and just made them and I ported that to the NES, those 16 levels, um, just so I could play them in sequence without worrying about the other nonsense in that game. And that sort of sat for a few years. Um, every once in a while, I would show it off to someone um, and they would think it's cool. And I would ask my friends like, hey, do you think you should you could design some levels for a game like this? And everyone would be like, <laughs> yeah, that sounds like fun. Um, but no one ever would. So it sort of just lay dormant because God knows I can't come up with anything myself. Um, <laughs> and finally, you know, as the chat room presence on Nintendo Age grew, um, and I think chat? this, no, this was pre discord. Um, oh. it was, I think tiny chat. Some guys were hanging out there. Uh, Mr. Wonderful, uh, Corey Keegan, uh, Majesty ZX, I think his name is, but um, these guys were hanging out, and like randomly one night I posted the ROM of the 16 levels, and they got like really into it to where they were streaming it on camera um, and sort of figuring things out together, and they were like bl blazing through these levels, and they said, We need more. And I said, Yeah, no kidding, I also need more. So working with them, they sort of inspired me to push through, and uh, I don't know, together we sort of created this uh this cool game wasn't that the chat room where the guy would come in and flash his penis <laughs> well i mean i i hope that's every chat room i'm a part of <laughs> oh boy i'm <laughs> beginning to suspect who that was <laughs> no that uh yeah that was definitely that chat room and uh some images you just can't erase from your brain unfortunately cucumber <laughs> so kev i got one for you you were talking about inspiration a little bit you know, was the game inspired by any real world experience like a job in a warehouse? And how did the vision of your game change during the development process? Well, you know, as we came up with the levels and put them in, um, there, there definitely wasn't any story aspect to the game early on or even um, even, you know, as as it neared completion. You know, the puzzles were all in there, but I was trying to think of a way to. I don't know, structure it to make it more interesting. Like, you can play puzzles all day long, like when you sit down to play Tetris or whatever, but, like, there's nothing other than the drive to get a higher score to really, like, pull you back. So I wanted to sort of try to formulate an interesting story because my sort of favorite games all tend to have some sort of story, you know, something that you can latch onto that as you play, you... You figure out more details of the story and it just, you know, becomes more and more clear as things go, you know, as time goes on, you know, mysteries or secrets or whatever. So I figured out the idea that I wanted to sort of group these levels into some sort of tangible number to where you can say that you've beaten chunks of them. So I don't remember exactly how I came up with the idea of floors and it was probably after, you know, we... we we, me and the beta testers, Corey and Keegan and, and Jim James and some of those other guys, we all sort of work together on everything. You know, the, the puzzles, um, the story, I would bounce ideas off them. They would come up with ideas. 
and it was sort of like a collective group effort, but, you know, we came up with the story of, I don't know how much I want to give away, I guess everyone that's going to play it has probably played it by now. No, but, no, you know, they haven't even heard not. of it yet. I pitch to new people all the time. Oh, well, you think they're going to come across this podcast? <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a there's okay. a few that might. Oh my, this thing's okay. blowing up. Are you kidding me? They they're but, they're too busy buying sneak and peek and playing that. They haven't actually heard about your good games. Right. Enough with well, the ET. Let's get on the incident. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Let's just throw every bad game I've done just out there in the open. Just go ahead. Just get it. Oh, we got you know. Frogger. We got Unicorn. <laughs> we got. I mean, there's a bunch. Um. Okay. So I won't give away any like major plot details, but we came up with this idea to sort of this whole thing sort of takes place in. A basement of a warehouse the game starts you know time has passed somehow the humans have disappeared you know as far as we can tell from from the surface of the earth this robot wakes up in this the depths of this basement and then the story starts of him sort of pushing his way floor after floor to try to get to the surface to do something um, and you'll figure that out as as the game sort of progresses. But um, yeah, we came up with the idea of grouping them into floors. Every ten levels, we consider it a floor, and that's that. So yeah, no real world real world experiences in oh in yeah house or <laughs> I guess I never answered your question. No, there's uh, no real world experiences. No. Damn, I really thought you had something there. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. No, it's uh, it's really all fiction. You, you did some time in the warehouse. Hey, why am I not surprised that you've based an entire game off of a game that you can't remember what the name of it is? And that's the thing. Like, mobile games, historically, They're forgettable. they are. Like, they make no lasting impression on me. Um, even the ones that were on the lists, you know, like, best mobile games of the year, it's like, I'll play it for five minutes, and it's like, eh, like, I could take it or leave it. But this specific puzzle type from this game... And I really wish that I had remembered the name so I could give them credit because I don't like to, well, sometimes I do, but I don't often like to take credit for other people's work. But yeah, it was Wait. that, that <laughs> okay. part of the game was fun. So um, I wanted to take that and sort of push it further and, and elaborate on it. And I wanted to make a game that I myself would like to sit down and play. And uh, I do find myself sitting down playing the incident uh not often but often at conventions um yeah i i will sit and play it all day long and and never get tired i have a blast so i got one more for you here how did you decide on the difficulty of each level and the ordering process as a whole well as the levels were being created and put in the game we would sort of test them you know as a group as they were put in and you know we sort of just as as a group decided, like, this level's harder than this one, maybe we should put it here. But one thing I wanted to do is take a movie, for example. Like, when you're watching a movie... Star Wars? It's any movie. Back to the Future? We can, we can, we can do Star... Pick a damn movie, Bo. That was Tim. That wasn't me. I'm not the only <laughs> oh, one. Dream a little dream. I, oh, that's I can't even tell... <laughs> ah, all right, let me talk. Sorry, sorry, Kevin. In a movie, it's usually structured, you know, the beginning is sort of lighthearted and as the movie progresses it gets more tense and then you have sort of a climax and then the movie sort of tapers off and you know things are a little bit easier toward the end and that's how I wanted to make the game um so yeah the game the way I tried to make it was it starts out 
I'm gonna say easy, even though everyone complains that the first level is hard, but let's be honest, every single move in level 1, there's only one way you can push each block for it to not get stuck. It's easy. But I still get it stuck. That's what she said. Right! Um, There it is. So, the game starts easy-ish, gets very hard up into the 60s and 70s and, you know, 80s, and then into the 90s, it sort of gets easy-ish again because I just wanted people to be able to sort of experience, I don't know, this sort of f- structure. And, uh, you know, people come to me and they say, why are the last 20 levels so easy? And it's just like, that's, I don't know, that was just a conscious decision I made. Um, it's a victory lap. Something, something, yeah, that, that's a good way to look at it. Now, I have gotten a lot of flack and I will agree that I should have probably done this differently you get into the colorful robots really late in the game, and I probably should have introduced them sooner. But I don't know, it is sort of a victory lap. When you make it that far, at that point you're celebrating. Like, you've at that point beaten 100 levels. Like, let's reward ourselves with some icing on the cake here. Oh, look at you, you can be original. Nothing new here, though. (laughs) (laughs) So, one of the issues with the incident, and we'll get into some others in a second, but one of the many is... You will find yourself, while playing it, accidentally pushing a lot of blocks that you didn't mean to. And this is because you opted for pixel-level movement versus metatile movement. Why, why'd you make that choice? I gotta know. Well, you know, as I was making it, and, and people will, you know, people bring up the so- Sokoban thing all the time, you know, oh, you're just copying Sokoban. Honest to God, I had never heard of Sokoban Don't take my talking before points. I started making this game. But after, you know, after I started making it and people said, oh, you know, have you played this other game on the Famicom? You know, there's some some uh, Sokoban games over there and I've played them. Their movement is very metatile based. You move eight or 16 pixels per button push and it doesn't have that sort of fluid feel of actively controlling a character. And I found that I I, I found great joy in being able to freely move the robot around. It just felt good to me. Now, you know, as as I was developing it, I did find instances where, like, you would accidentally tap a block and it would move, and you didn't want it to move. So people were saying, why don't you put in an undo so you can just go back a move? Well, I feel like when you beat a level, you need to beat it in one push. Like, you need one fluid progression from beginning to end, and then you've you've mastered that level and you can move on. But I tried to put in a little bit of a delay, like I I put some sort of physics in the game to where you have to push into the block for a series of frames before it detects that it's supposed to be moving. Now, this still leads to people accidentally pushing blocks, not as often, but it was just a stylistic choice that I made, um, and I could have, I guess, put a longer delay, more weight on the blocks to try to alleviate that a little more, but I, I thought that it felt pretty good. It's just, you know, uh, something you have to contend with, I guess. Cool. And uh, where are the achievements in the game? Like you're asking why there aren't achievements in the game? Yeah, you're such an achievement whore. Yeah, well, many have asked where your achievements are. Okay, I didn't know if you were getting on some, like, metaphor of my achievement of creating a game or something. Oh, oh, but a- you, actual you game achievements. <laughs> well, I think it's a hell of an achievement to release this game. <laughs> I'm a fan, um, so... If I remember correctly, and it's been a few years, so I apologize that my memory is so poor. I wanted to put achievements in the game, 
and I had planned on it. Um, but when I went to, and I believe I actually went so far as to like make a menu screen and like start to do it, but these strange bugs arose that didn't make any sense to me. Were they in the mind? Maybe. I mean, (laughs) your guess is as good as mine, but rather than try to contend with trying to figure them out, I I took the easy way out. I mean, at that point, the development on the game had been, you know, overall from the beginning of the demo, you know, years, but to, to, to push through completing what turned out to be the incident. I mean, it was, it was probably eight solid months of, of pretty intense coding and testing and, and bouncing ideas, beta testing. So I just, I called it. I said, the game's done. It doesn't really need achievements. You know, I, I'd like to have them in, but I didn't want to go through the uphill battle of contending with more, with more bugs. So I, agree. I just, I, I just agree. took it I out. I think it's fine. Yeah. You know, it's funny you keep referencing these early demos that were floating around for years, but man, if you look on some of the old power packs at conventions and stuff, you'll <laughs> surely find Robot 5, Robot 2, and this weird game that you're like, this has promise, and then you find out that years <laughs> later, he finished it. Uh... <laughs> it's weird how that folder somehow made its way onto everyone's power pack. Yeah, it's somewhere in China, too, I think, uh, judging by their <laughs> bootleg websites. But, um... So with these narrative portions, did you make up the quotes? Uh, are they real quotes? Like, how'd you give me the content of that as a sci-fi fan? No, all the quotes are completely original. Um, the names that I used in the game, the people speaking of the quotes, are real people. Um, they're friends of mine. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Super cool. Yeah. I was going to say, do they yeah. know this? <laughs> uh, some of them. Some of them don't. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, a lot of my friends uh, locally. He's, he's like um, a Wild West copyright guy. He doesn't care. Yeah. He shoots from the hip. Oh, I mean, I I don't foresee friends of mine getting upset that I use their name in a I game. I think that's really cool that he's implementing, you know, using the real, bringing the real world into the Nintendo. Yeah, until the robots <laughs> rise up and he's like, well, why'd you have me say that, man? Like, they keep hailing me as some sort of leader. But you were saying... Yeah, so the the quotes are original. Um, you know, as I develop the story um, with my testers, um, the the character names from the game, Sam, uh, is from Natalie Portman's character in Garden State. Oh. Um, Claire and um, who was the other one? Sorry. <laughs> are you are you serious? Wow. Kate. Her name is Kate. Claire wow. and Kate are clearly from the hit tv show lost as is the name of the game the incident which is from a very impactful episode um when they find a uh, a bomb buried uh in the past well, now i don't need to watch it. lost no twin oh, peaks man. Yeah, this game was made prior to me discovering twin peaks oh, okay the original or the re-release both the original was out wow. so you're you're like a Wow, I didn't. You know, he talks about Twin Peaks with this this awe and this reverence, as though it's held this place in his life for like twenty plus years. And now he just watched it a couple of years ago. You haven't watched yeah. Peaks. Though. He was bored one day. See, Bo hasn't watched Twin Peaks. Uh, I haven't. No, man. Like I, I stumbled upon it on Netflix one day because you know when you look up these lists of you know best TV shows of all time or most influential TV shows of all time, Twin Peaks is always on there. And, you know, a lot of my favorite shows like The X-Files, Lost, all these creators always reference Twin Peaks as being this sort of 
perennial influential TV show that changed the scope of television. So I I was always interested in checking it out, but yeah, I, I didn't fall in love with it until the you know the past few years. But uh, yeah, the quotes in the game, um, you know, we came up with the story. Um, and like I said, I'm not going to get into the details of the story, but I, I, I consider myself a decent writer. So I, I took the time to sort of put myself in, in the shoes of people that are alive, both when the robots were created and sort of post incident. Is that the sequel? And, uh, <laughs> no, but I want to talk about when we get into talking about the level editor, I want to tell you what my once grand idea was for a sequel. (laughs) That's definitely on the docket. So yeah. um, One other question, Kev. Uh, I'm I'm a big fan of the transitions between levels. Was that your vision from the start or was that implemented later in the development process? The actual graphic style between levels? And the the, between between floors? Yeah. Well, between levels, between levels. Okay. Just the scrolling. The scrolling and the like, the celebratory song, and the <laughs> fact that you know you just the explosions. The ex- you just you well not explosions, well, but the blocks all explode. Well, yeah, but I mean it's it's more of like a it's a it's a breather. It's that brief period of like ah, and now you're back into it. Did you plan that, or was that later in the dev process? It it wasn't from the beginning. Um, but it was, I believe, pretty early on in the dev process because when I was programming the game, I decided to, you know, draw one level on the screen that you see, mm-hmm. and then I wanted to sort of preload the next level on the name table or the screen, you know, to the right, where if you were playing Mario and running, the next level would sort of like slowly scroll on screen. But the the next level in the game is always preloaded you know on the screen next to you so i already had that done just as a programming trick i was doing um and i i think i got you know i've done that in a few games you know on on larry i sort of had a version of every screen you're on off screen when a text box pops up it it overlays the the other name table on screen anyway i'm getting off track no that's my Um, new favorite trick so i love it he's abusing Um, it but i had the game i had the, the next level always on screen so I just wanted to see kind of what it would be like to scroll the next level on screen as the previous level was beat, just so it looks like this massive floor, you know, what it would later be called, um, was sort of all laid out on one, you know, super wide screen. Well, yeah, it does. It, it, it totally translates like that. Cool. The The sort of robot turning and the blocks exploding and the jingle... I think all of that was influenced directly from Zai's music. Um, or when, when Zai did the transition music between levels, it had that sort of intense beat, you know, it sounded so happy. I wanted to make the robot dance. Um, so I sort of do this turn thing until he's facing downward, depending on how, what direction he's facing when the level ends, he then turns a certain number of turns to face downward again. Um, and, and then I just decided to make the blocks sort of explode on every downbeat um, or every beat of the measure, you know, for the, for oh, the jingle. So it's just sort of a, huh. yeah, it's just sort of a, a fun thing that I decided to throw together. I think it's fun. Um, so things that are not so fun. What, what has been the hardest level in based on the feedback that you've gotten? Uh, I know there was 80- one. 
84? Oh, it was 84. Yes. Oh, 84. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people, that, what, what, what is that one called? Is that the windmill? I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay, yeah. It's hard for me to remember specific names, but really? there were there were a lot. Yeah, funny. Um, there were a lot between sixty four and eighty four, eighty six ish that uh, that gave people a lot of problems. You ain't kidding. <laughs> That's a rough patch, let me tell you. Yeah, once you start introducing six blocks to contend with, yes, uh, it, it's... it's pretty. It, it's a lot to manage. Well, speaking of these level names, how did you come up with all these? Uh. Do you want the truth? You I can't handle I, uh, the truth. Uh, the truth is out there. Didn't Mulder say that? Oh man, now you're speaking my language. Oh, have you watched Millennium? You know, I'm having a hard time. There's a lot of shows that I've tried. Well, it um, had a crossover I... episode with the X Files. Okay, then no, I haven't. Then you need to see it. I'll let you borrow it. It's another. Um, it's another life changer. But mom, if you're listening turn this episode off that way that i named these levels is i smoked a lot of marijuana and i looked at the screen when i was stoned out of my brain and the first thing that came to my mind from the shapes of the levels then became the level so a lot of them looked like faucets so you have faucet faucet two faucet three (laughs) oh my uh, I did not expect that answer. Really? That's the answer. Oh, I didn't give that away to you? No, I, <laughs> there was more, I thought there was more fuckery in here. I, I no. really have... Tim asked me some questions when we were coming up with these, and I I knew the answers, but I didn't give them to him because I was hoping he'd ask you anyways. Yeah. And that'd be one of them. I, I assumed that question was coming, and I did not know if I wanted to release that info, but, you well, know, who cares? That's the it's joy of there. being the one who edits these things. Well, you're among <laughs> friends. You're safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a safe place. Yeah. Internet, you and going. the 500 people that are going to download this episode. Yeah. What's with the Rob the Robot title screen? He doesn't look anything like Sam, Claire, or that other robot's name that you can't remember. <laughs> I already forgot his Oh, Kate. Her. Um, Kate. Uh, yeah. I guess I'm in there androgynous but still um as i've stated numerous times i am not creative um so i think i just google image searched robot or something and a graphic that looked very similar to that popped up and when i saw it honest to god rob the robot did not even enter my brain like it doesn't look the same to me and maybe that's because i never owned a rob the robot (laughs) Um, Did, but no one. Mars rover? I'm not sure, but it looked box-ish, you know, in head design, and that's how I envisioned Sam's head sort of looking. So I took it and you know tweaked it a little bit, but I don't even think anyone mentioned that it looked like Rob until I tried putting the game on Steam, and s- some comment on the video was like, "Yeah, this game looks fun, but you better change Rob the robot on the title screen." And I was like, "Wait, what?" And then I realized, oh, maybe maybe it can uh, look a little similar. So this is just like when you knocked off Sokoban and knocked off Donkey Kong Jr. and knocked off... you you never seen Rob before? I know that you're poking fun at me, but, I mean, I'm telling the truth. Like, I, in all I these instances... Well, I don't think a lot of people do, like, but... I don't know. It's just completely coincidental. Oh, as one who shows up to conversations and has people say, I had this great idea, and I'm like, I had that idea this morning, and they're like, uh-huh, sure. I can understand <laughs> your pain, sir. Can we go back to something? If it's if it's if it's that, no. Is this another Back to the Future reference? No. 
No, no, no. Oh, okay. You spoke of steam. It's yeah. stuck in green light. Yeah. We need to get it out of there. We need to get you it know, onto steam. Well, you know, steam changed their method of getting games on there. Like in the past, you would pay whatever amount of money to go to allow your game to try to get voted in. Right. To get on on the via on green the light correct. platform. Yeah. Clearly that did not work for me because, you know, it got some upvotes, but a lot of people were like, what is this garbage? You know, when people see pixel art, I know you don't have this problem because people love beat 'em ups and Haunted Halloween series has done extraordinarily well. Well, thank um, you. But people weren't excited about my game showing up. Well, on I there. think and we I, need to, I don't blame them. We need to get it on there. I'm serious. Well, I lost I lost motivation, man. Like if if people don't want the game to be on there, why go through the hassle of paying money to put it on a platform that five people are going to play? You had such a great trailer, too, with that haunting, <laughs> copyright infringing Gary Jules song. It was, yeah, uh... Let's just take it. No, but I'm serious. I think I think the game is good enough to be on there. I think it I think it will catch fire. And I think I wish you had more confidence in the PC movement of your game personally. Well, we'll talk. OK. I just I think it's good, and I think that puzzle games do have their place on Steam. You just got to find the right audience. I appreciate you saying so. Sure. Um, okay, so what was the most challenging part of programming the incident? Uh, probably the extraordinary amount of data entry. Okay. Mm. You know, every level, there were so many sort of variables for every level. You have, of course all the block positions you have the robot position you have the home positions and then you have the routes that if someone is using a solution point that the robot must travel in order to solve each level and you have to contain all that information for 120 levels so just trying to find a way to structure all that data because I used meta tiles. I, I haven't been big in meta tiles in the past um, just because my games haven't been big enough to warrant any mm. sort of compression. But just figuring out a way to, to fit all that stuff and uh, and do it in a way that was clean, neat, and organized. Okay. Hmm. No demo. Not interested. <laughs> Took a bone clone. Nothing new here. Only one yeah. song. What gives? And yet, love letters about playing games with one's ailing father. Other th things where people have come together and, and watched and played this game. People have both loved and hated the incident. It, it's brought them together. It's divided them. How have you sort of handled the criticisms? And, and what are some of your thoughts on the various issues that have been raised about it? Well, let me first speak on some of the positive things that you just said. I mean... Who, as a game developer, can say that someone wrote and told that you know told you that your game that you made like brought families together, like that your sixty-year-old father stayed up until three in the morning playing your game? Like, I don't know how often that happens, but I don't think it happens very often. So, like, receiving letters like that were mind-blowing i mean that means the world to me so when you when you get criticisms like oh it's too hard or oh there's no demo to this game i'm not gonna buy it or wow you're charging 60 dollars for a game that looks like it came out 30 years ago like i can go buy call of duty 3 you know like it's like okay 
but my game changed this dude's life over here. He's playing games with his dad who's never played a game since 1984. Bring the criticism on because I can take it because, you know, you're an idiot. <laughs> ah, my favorite, my favorite judgment upon criticisms. <laughs> Um, and the, the, pretty, the guy that said awesome there's story. only one, the guy mm-hmm. that said there's only one song in the game. Like, I'm sorry that you didn't make it past level ten to find out that oh, there's another song. Hey, and that was oh, an official YouTube review. Like, how can you I dispute know. that in any but way? But it wasn't and, a negative review. No, but that was the, one of the main criticisms of it was there's only one song. This game sucks. Okay. Well, the fact that that was one of the only criticisms and it isn't even a valid criticism, you know, that sort of wipes that one off the board. But the fact that we're still discussing that moron, you know, three years later or however long it's been, um, it, it did later. sting a little. Like when, when people say things like that, both warranted and ridiculous, um, you know, they do stick with you. So if you're out on the Internet saying awful things to someone I know that you're trying to be funny or maybe you do have a valid concern, but like everything you say, it's, it's going to stick with who you're saying it to. So be nice, man. Oh, I think you just invited a bunch of really harsh criticisms for no reason. No, that's fine. Yeah, not interested anyways. There's no demo. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's ironic because this game stemmed from a demo. <laughs> so the majority of the time when you're playing this game, you're thinking, You're not actually using the controller to control the sprites. Is that something you planned or was that, did that just come about after you realized that this was a think piece more than an an action puzzler? Think piece. I like that. I wouldn't say that that was something I sought to capture. I mean, I think that's just sort of a byproduct of this style of game. Um, When you make it to where once you make the the level unsolvable you have to start over like there's no rewind or undo you have to unless you want to just like push shit around and restart it a hundred times like you have to stop and consider every move because every move could be the final move until you're stuck so existential yeah yeah so it's not something that i sought to do but um, I do like that that is a byproduct of the game. And um, I have to say, watching multiple people in a group setting sort of collectively play the game, that's been one of the most fun things that I've experienced. Like, one guy has the controller, and then another guy in the back goes, oh, I know how to solve this. And the guy holding the controller is like, okay, tell me where to go. And then... You know, he goes the directions the guy tells him to do, and he's like, oh, I guess that wasn't the answer. Right. And then everyone has a good chuckle, and you have to start over. But watching multiple people try to solve it together has been a lot of fun. Awesome. You know, I said this before. I find this game is uh, best played at night, late at night during the fall or winter. You know, with Homebrew having some games that players like to play at certain times of the year, have you ever gotten any feedback besides that on when your fans like to dig into it? No, honestly, no one, I don't recall anyone ever saying that they preferred to play it at a certain time of day until you just brought it up. So I'm I mean, the I, I've heard the Tim stands no, alone. Yeah, it's, it's not an asshole. Like that's <laughs> when you, when you describe the game's atmosphere, I mean, it does lend itself very easily to sort of a, a peaceful nighttime, quiet time. Like you're sitting, you're thinking you're uninterrupted by any sort of external factors you know, outside, inside, nighttime is a very good time to play it. So um, I totally see how you could say that. Cool. So Zai did the music for this game. 
and several others that you've done, uh, what was sort of the working process like that the two of you have achieved at this point? So when we were discussing what I wanted musically for this game, atmosphere was a word I used over and over and over. And I didn't even know how you could do what I envisioned on the NES. Like I wanted ambient atmospheric music. Like how do you do that with three channels and a noise channel? I I don't, hell if I know. Well, he did it. Um, Well, and that's the thing. When he sent me the music and he would send me, you know, a couple songs at a time, it, it was jarring to me because what he sent was not what I envisioned. You know, he used, and that's why he's a brilliant musician and I'm just some scumbag who steals ideas. Like, <laughs> the music he sent to me, he used a lot of, like, robotic sort of computer-esque sounds that I would have never considered. And a lot of it, at first listen, is very unlike anything that you've ever heard before. But it's perfect. Like, the the, the fact that he could see from this game and and pulled those ideas from this gameplay i i don't i don't even know what words to use other than brilliance like it just it works and people have you know favorite floor music and sort of some that they might like less but i think that every floor is very distinct very unique and very very good so it's it's my favorite music of any game that i've put out so I, I can never thank him enough. Thank you, Thomas. Seriously. You know, we're on the topic of music. You know, the game totally has a haunting start screen. It really lets you know you're in for a challenge, in my opinion. Um, did you ask for that song or a song like that? Or is that something you heard from Zion just knew, hey, this fits here? No, that's that's all from his sort of vision. Like, as as good as the game turned out, it wasn't anywhere close to that in my brain. Like... My beta testers, the musician, everything, everyone took my idea and just expanded on it and pulled it to places and to levels that I would have never dreamed of. So he sent me that music with the sole intention of it being the title music. Like, put this on the title. Put this on the boot-up screen. Put this in the transition quote screen. Like, he had a vision for all that. And when you look at it as sort of one giant collective piece like it it's it's just a massive vision that he had and uh man like it's it's i don't want to call it like an art piece but like it has sort of art piece-esque vibes to it yeah you got to tip your cap to him he really did a great job absolutely oh yeah the ellie is shipped with a bug from what i hear how'd that happen how'd you feel and sort of what'd you do to make it right for people the the limited edition bug? Yeah, yeah, the ones they paid the good money for. Okay. So the guy, uh, I had an artist, um, Russ, Russ Quick, uh, great artist uh, from Vancouver area, I think. Man, that's the name. Uh, yeah, Russ Quick. I, th- I thought it was like just a fake like screen name, but it wound up being his real name, which is, is crazy. I wish it was my name. Um he wanted nothing more than to play the game on like a modded DS or something. So I had to create a version of the game that didn't use flash saving because um, the emulator that he was using on that device just didn't support UN ROM 512. So I commented out 
a lot of stuff like all the flash saving um the loading all the things that would crash if you try to use it in an emulator that doesn't support that stuff and i emailed him the rom so he could play it well when i was preparing the game to flash onto all the cartridges for the limited edition which was the first version that i was shipping out to people i commented a lot of that stuff back in but i forgot one crucial uh, part to comment back in and that is the data loading routine like when you turn on the game it loads the data that was previously saved so it was saving all the stuff but when you turned on the game it never reloaded the saved data so that damn semicolon uh, <laughs> it it was hell I emailed all of the people that paid outrageous amounts of money for this limited edition copy came with a shirt came with all this fancy stuff stickers um yeah just like i went through all this like elaborate stuff to try to make this great package and oh by the way it doesn't save um so in my desperation you know i'm going to the aforementioned chat room telling people what's going on hybrid was one of the frequenters of the chat room and and as you and i both know hybrid is most known for making game genie codes um for homebrews so he found out i basically told him how i screwed it up he found the memory address that was being bypassed and basically made a game genie code to make my commented out code work so i sent emails to all the people saying hey I can send you a new copy of the game, absolutely at no cost to you, or you can keep the copy you have, use this game genie code, it might be even more rare. So most people, of course, said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, send me a damn copy that works. Um, But a couple people took me up on the offer, and they have a very rare, uh, buggy, limited edition copy of the incident. I may or may not be one of those people. (laughs) nice yeah so uh check your code guys check your semicolons oh it's all part of the history (laughs) so with the the success of this game i heard that you were approached by one of those uh loot crate companies um not loot crate of course uh about bundling the incident with a release uh yeah that whole process well i mean that was that was really that was like a whirlwind, man. I was contacted by a company called Man Crates, and I told uh, you it was something like Loot Crate. Yeah, yeah. They they sell these themed crates um, that they ship with this like crowbar. I mean, they're designed for men. Like you get this freaking crate, you unbox it with a freaking crowbar, and there's like <laughs> badass stuff inside. Well, one of their best crate bundles was this like retro gaming crate it would come with this horribly this garbage of a gaming system like some retro duo thing and they when they first started it they would ship you know any cheap retro games they could get off ebay like you know silent service or you know whatever whatever common games they could throw in there i don't know i'm kidding i'm I'm kidding i'm kidding it's a terrible joke (laughs) well i guess they were running out of whatever supply whatever affordable supply they had of these like just garbage games so they were looking for some other source to throw in so they contacted uh civac the creator of battle kid and they contacted me which was 
humbling. I mean, uh, there were some amazing homebrew games. Like, I mean, this was back before, you know, the, the new sort of amazing flood of games started coming out like lizard and haunted Halloween, um, twin dragons, all the new stuff. That's just blowing all the stuff that I did out of the water back in the day. Spookatron's um, never on his list. Yeah. <laughs> I love for the Spookatron. I love, I love that damn game. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. They wanted me to, they wanted to see if they could include the incident in their crate, which was awesome. But uh, the big problem was my game's not going to work on your crap clone system. So I asked them to send me one of the systems they used so I could test my game and sort of reprogram it to work on their system. So they sent me a system. I tweaked all my code to work on, you know, a, a board that would be compatible with their system. It, it was kind of a pain in the ass, um, but I got it done. It worked flawlessly. I had to take out uh, the scrolling between levels, which oh, uh, kind of sucked. You took it out. Okay. Yeah, I took it out. Sure. Uh, I think I put in some fading routine or something. Um, so I went through all that effort right as they were about to relaunch their new, their brand new original games included with their retro gaming crate. Uh, Nintendo said, hey everyone, remember us? Check out this new thing called the NES Classic. It's going to be awesome. And Mancrate said, oh shit, uh, we can't really compete with that, so let's just scrap this whole thing. And I was like, hey wait, <laughs> we have a contract. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> we signed a contract. Like, you were going to pay me a lot of money to, uh, to do this. What gives? So they still paid me some, you know, just to make it worth my while. And, and it was nice uh, to even sort of be included with the whole process. But the thing was scrapped, uh, never to be seen again. That's a shame it didn't come out. Oh, it really is. I mean, that could have opened up what we and do. And the NES to... Classic at that point was so hard to get, it didn't matter. It wasn't even out yet at that point. Yeah. Dumbass. I don't think that it would have even competed in the same market. Like right. the people, the people going after the NES Classic wanted a box system with like built-in games like this new retro theme themed crate like you could go buy other nes games to play in it like it it would have been a different market in my opinion yeah um but i i think they were worried that nintendo and you and i especially these days see nintendo is going after these rom sites um they're just going after their copyright and i think that man crates was a little concerned that perhaps uh, some unwanted attention would be brought to them. Expired patents and pirating IPs are two very, very different things. Um, Again, you're preaching to the choir, but humans. I think they were just trying to play it safe. You're the choir? I think that's Someone's a said. choir. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he is. It's uh, not you and I. No. That's for damn sure. <laughs> yeah. So the incident is... A major achievement in in your catalog. I mean, you you've done a lot of games over the years, but the two for me that always stand out are Study Hall and The Incident, which are two of your most original, creative from the ground up, non-port games. Because uh, I just keep throwing adjectives and nouns at you. But in this process, sort of, what did you uh, kind of learn when making The Incident uh, about programming yourself, artificial intelligence, the world, even? <laughs> I think what I learned most uh, personally is that perhaps, well, maybe a couple things. Um, perhaps I'm 
I have more creativity inside of me than I might think. You do. At first thought. Um, and secondly, that it gave me a taste of what it would be like to work with a collective group of like-minded people. Mm-hmm. And that brought things, like I said, to like a place that I didn't even consider to begin with. I mean, it just made it better and better. So... Um, it made me start considering that like maybe maybe working on things as a group, I don't know, like maybe it's the way to go in the future. Maybe it's not so bad, eh? Yeah. Not so bad. Hey. Hey. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> there there were Canadians involved with this project. Couple. Yeah. So, last but not least, the most important question. Drum roll, please. Mr. Kevin Hanley, are there plans for a sequel? Or possibly a spinoff to the incident. Well, let me just ask you straight off the bat, like, what spinoff? Do you have ideas for a spinoff? Oh, yes. Oh, boy. Oh, well, well, first of all, let me answer your question, because I'm intrigued. (laughs) When I released the incident, and I went through the great effort of putting in a level editor, that people could create their own levels and export them and send them to other people... Like, I just envisioned this flood of levels being bestowed upon the world and, most importantly, upon me. Because, um, like, I I love playing this game. I love playing just levels, man. I wanted to play all these levels that I didn't come up with or no one else that I knew came up with. And it released, and jack shit. Like, I think maybe, I don't know, four levels were created. Like, out of all the hundreds of copies I sold, definitely less than ten levels. Wow, that's were disappointing. Created. You ha- yes, to put it mildly, <laughs> I was on suicide watch. Jesus, um, it's select. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Thank you. Um, but my idea for a sequel was to compile all these brilliant levels that were going to trickle in and call it the incident two. Oh man, I forgot what brilliant title I had. Oh, it was so good. You had the floor. The entire homebrew arena is listening, and we were waiting to hear that name, and now it's cricket. I think it was well, like he played it once, incident. but he forgets what it was called. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was like the incident two user data or something like some like technical name implying that it was created like by other people but like when nothing came in like that just scrapped the whole thing well then and... we need to we need a call to action right now everybody Did... listening i think this is the call to this is the yes. call to action we need to create levels and get them to hanley kevin will pay you 50 dollars a level no, well, send them whoa! to his email whoa oh, 75 is that what you want what, paypal yeah paypal it's uh or the western union what is that when they oh. try transfer oh, the money? scam one the scam one I think yeah. you do that from walmart yeah they got the big signs <laughs> yeah yeah kevin will pay you to make his levels uh just uh send him money no he'll send you money uh I'll, i will say this he can pay us in steam keys for the incident um if somehow this call to action uh, makes people magically want to create levels and send them in. I get and the money. It got to a point where a game is released. Um, yeah, I will split. I will split money with all the level submitters all day long. Ooh, Ooh. that's that makes me want to go create levels. Hey, hey let's man. do this. Hey, let's I'll do go this. create I'm some serious. levels too, man. Community, we got to do this. It's, it's it, wouldn't it be badass? Like be a, a, a community a generated. 
I mean, I guess Spookatron, which I never mention, did something very similar. Um, so yet idea. again, I'm stealing someone's idea. Um, but wait, wait, didn't yeah, you have the awesome. level editor first? You know, I don't want to take credit. But yeah. Yes. So you're not stealing. Kevin so, yeah. always <laughs> accuses me of, of stealing all the ideas. Oh. <laughs> that's like the pot ke- calling the kettle black, man. I know. That's why I give you so much crap, is usually it's when I'm guilty of something. Right, right. Uh, What's well, a review? Call to action. Everybody out there, we got to make some levels, get them to Hanley. Let's get this sequel moving. Oh, we do have to ask him the questions that I hate to answer and that I hate that he asks, but we got to put him in the hot seat real quick. Who, Let's Hanley? Let's do it. Uh, uh, Kevin, uh, so um, who, who who's your favorite homebrew? Rob L. Bryant. Oh. Uh, what, what, what's it? Why? Why? Do I ever ask why? Um, I think you do. I think that... I mean, I think I've said it before. Like, I feel that he thinks the most outside the box of any homebrewer in the scene. Like, 90% of the games that come out are comparable to, you know, other licensed games or, or other games that have come out on modern platforms. And I feel that Rob... You know, when you look at a game like uh, Rise of Amandus, um, I've never seen a game like that. And who the hell could come up with something like that? I, I don't know. Like, I just feel that he is brilliant in ways that uh, other people maybe fall short. Uh, what's your favorite homebrew? The Mad Wizard. Uh, what's your favorite potato chip flavor? Ketchup. Ew. Uh, what's your favorite Yeah, that's, soda? that's a joke. <laughs> I don't drink soda, but my favorite potato chip flavor is uh salt and vinegar favorite dog uh cavalier king charles spaniel are you talking about breed or actual dog actual dog it's probably in your house oh, right now that is bean oh, for sure okay and with he's that thank you wait 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 favorite color of hair no oh, he's getting mean now no 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 <laughs> i'm talking to a man who has a full head of hair here and he's, he's got two of us here <laughs> just a jerk uh you take him anywhere a dark pixie cut Ooh. For yourself? No, he didn't say He's for me. About oh, a woman. Gotcha. I just. I think. I mean, I've seen any ha- any I've, hair for me would be my favorite color of hair. Have you seen the pictures <laughs> of when Kevin had hair? Uh, you mean like when he was playing the guitar? No, like in the Dollar Bill rap. No. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As seen on YouTube. Yes, YouTube that right now. He'll go from nice. two thousand listens to like twenty one hundred. The uh, what is what is the what is the video called? The infamous one dollar rap. One dollar rap. Where you where you uh, you, Well, we can't even talk about what you did because it's probably not politically correct anymore. (laughs) These days, that dude's dead for sure. Yeah, but it's it's the the thought, the the notion. But anyways, he has long hair in the video. Yeah, which is just strange to me. Well, thank you for coming on. We appreciate you coming on to the. what are we calling this? The Retro Goose podcast? The Retro Goose. That's, that's what I've been calling Tim's it all week. Favorite little thing to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess. Is we'll... that a spinoff podcast? No, no. It's it's No, it's a it's a lurking idea. What was the other one? I still want to talk about your incident spinoff ideas, but I guess we'll do that uh, oh. off the air. Yeah, well, I just imagine Sam gets out of the warehouse. Ooh, and what's he pushing? For Tim, it always turns into a platformer at this point, I'm pretty sure. Wow. Wow. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with a good platformer, bro. Nobody said there was. Some, people, know like, the some people like the platformer. I know where this is going. It's, it's going nowhere. 
What else did you want to? Nothing I was else just going to tell him we'll, we'll have to have him on again sometime. Oh yeah, he yeah. makes oh, a lot thanks. of games. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've made more games. Than Not anymore. Almost anymore. I'm retired. Or are you working on anything currently you want to tell us about? No, that's our next segment. Oh, boy. so yeah, my bad. So with all this great music that Zai did and that you know just wowed your socks off, um, is there any particular song that you'd sort of want to kind of showcase? Mortal Kombat. Yeah, Mortal Kombat. That's what I heard in the first ten notes. They're all good. They're all good. So just pick a floor, man. Which one? Do you have a preference? I don't know the names, but I would play the song that's playing in level 68, The Eel. There we go. It's probably the one from (laughs) 60 to 70. So yes, we will listen to track number, I'm not quite sure, but that one. Kevin, uh, we'll, we'll talk to him again in a bit, I guess, but we are still here. And kind of regarding the art, sort of what did you like, what you didn't, what did you not like about it? Well, I like the overall vibe. I like the color choice. I like the black backgrounds. Um, well, at least early on in the game. And then you get to some more colorful backgrounds later, way, way later on in the game, which is cool. There's not a whole lot, honestly, I dislike. I don't even know if there's anything I dislike. Um, some people I've heard dislike the challenges, that they're a little too hard early on. But to me, oh, we're talking about art. I think probably the only criticism you might get is that there's not a lot of different tiles. Usually there's just one border tile, one home tile, one block tile. Like there, there's not a lot of variety. But with this type of game, you don't necessarily want a lot of variety. You don't want to lose yourself in these overly golly help me on the word here. challenging you don't no, want the art to take away from the process of the, the solving of the puzzles these flowery backgrounds oh. where you can't see the puzzle through the trees i suppose yeah, that's just my thought i thought the art was great i love the black the heavy black saturation style yeah uh, much like the early nes games and yet this plays 
and has technical features, it's very much like a late one. So it's, uh, I liked it. I got no problems with the art. Music? I absolutely have no problems with the music. Yeah, I guess we weren't I, just tooting his own horn, was No, it? no. Because yeah, he didn't do the music. It's hard to <laughs> criticize this game because, like I said, it's probably my favorite homebrew game ever. It's one that I pitch at shows and conventions. Hopefully I've generated some sales for them. But, you know, the music, Zai just knocked it out of the park. He He didn't miss. In my opinion, he didn't – I don't know. Do you have a problem with any of the music? Um, the only issue is when you're playing a level, you know, you hit a block of levels and some of them take 20 minutes back to back and you don't find that sort of groove where you just clear a bunch all at once. It can get a little repetitive, uh, but at the same time, you do have the option at any time to turn off the background music, so you really can't complain about that. I mean, if you're taking an hour to solve a puzzle, that's, that's kind of on you at a certain point. You can just turn off the music. Right, that's a good point. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's sort of it's hard to criticize when they give you the choice. Excellent point. Do you got any memorable levels or level names? Oh, man. I've, every single one of them. And I've known how Kevin named them for a long time. So they're, they kind of taken on extra significance as I sit there and look at them. I'm like, oh, that's how he came up with this. Okay. <laughs> I can see that. Uh, cracked corners always nice. Is that the first one, I think? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that one always gets me because you're, you're looking at it you're like, cracked corner. It's kind of a strange name, and they just get stranger. Yeah, I like the strange names. I like that they're all different. They're not any. Now that I know where they came from, it all makes sense. Kind of um, does, doesn't it? That there, there, there's some cohesiveness with like the uh, the faucets. I don't remember the faucets. There's another series of of levels that's like one, two, and three, but I cannot remember the name. Well, there's 120 levels, so there are. remembering the names, yeah, it's gonna be a little tough. Do you think Kevin can remember the names? Hell no. <laughs> Uh, I'm so mean. Uh, what about you? Any specific levels that kind of... No, th- I guess the eel 68 just plagued stuck on me. that I eel. Mean, it plagued me for days. Oh, days. Man. It's the kind of game that I can I can play for a little while, then take a break and come back to it because of the save states, you know, the, the flash saves. If they work in your copy. Oh, they work in mine. They don't work See, in mine. See, I'm not lucky enough to have that LE. No, I think more people actually kept the unchanged one than actually sent them back to him. <laughs> That's just... That's my speculation. So the fun factor. Do you like it? Well, obviously you like it. Do you find it to be replayable, though? I do. When I go back and play some of the earlier levels, I like to challenge myself. And it's not not so much that I want to do it. I want to do it in less pushes. Oh, look at you. Yeah, and I want to to clear it faster. And I want to be more precise with my decision making. So, yes, I believe there is replayability. Do you? I find the replayability just being the fact that if you put it down for a year or so, you don't remember most of the puzzles. They don't stick in your way the way that a simplistic, uh, you know, Chippendale or Mega Man puzzle kind of kind of fits in your brain. Right. It but doesn't you, have those visual cues that are unique, you know, with a lot of the assets being the same in the puzzles. Yeah. It blends together, which is kind of cool because then you can play the game again for the second time, almost fresh. Yeah, and as far as homebrews go, it's one of the more replayable games out there just because of that, because of the length, because of the challenge, all of that. You, you can't keep it all in your head at any given time. And group play is another part where it becomes real replayable, like Kevin was talking about. You sit it down in front of a group of people, and everybody's a cook in the kitchen, right. and it's just a lot of fun. Right. So the um, the release formats, and um, you know, how many releases of this have we seen? Well, there was the demo. No, there was no demo. <laughs> uh, not interested. There was the LE, which came very first, and that has in a clear shell, used retro USB boards, and had this great-looking... 
circuit board sticker. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but man, it is like, if I could frame a poster of a label art on my wall, that would be it. This, some of the neatest stuff, uh, which I believe Kevin did. It also came in a big box, uh, the classic Kahan big box style, like he's done, he did for, there's the incident. I have some of the ones that were after the fact. There was like a retroactive sneak and peek one. Scramble came in one. It's, it's a it's a box with a sleeve that goes over it. It's, it's just very nice. And they look real nice all next to each other. And then it also came with a big, like, plush block that I yeah. believe were made by Benny Hanna's wife, uh, Melissa, who was uh, the 8-Bit Xmas 2011 pinup girl. Oh, oh nice. yeah. I didn't yeah. know so, that. Miss 2011 has made your, your plush blocks. And there was also a bigger block for the beta testers and stuff. Like, it was twice the size, four times the size. Very neat. Uh, hard to find that one. Even I don't have that one yet. There was the regular edition, which uh, when it was launched on the new redesigned K-Hand Games website, you get a CD with it, which I believe has since been discontinued. He needs to put that back out. That music's too good not to be out on CD. And when you commit to doing these runs and stuff, like that's investment. Are you saying? It gets gets hard. All right. But yeah, there's CIB card only. Uh, Those ones use the GT ROM board with the charcoal black shell. Uh, And people can get those on his website currently. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're still for sale. This uh, sexy gold box with this manual with narrative, haunting kind of cover art. Oh, yeah. The box is beautiful. Manual's beautiful. And there's been like a few show demos, things like that. I think the first year he had it in Portland, I threw it into a blue shell for him or gave him a blue shell and he threw it in there. And that was sort of on the uh, thing. So there's a few little one-offs here and there, but then the 2017 scare cart, last year's scare cart, uh, Kevbot got him to use, to allow him to use the incident. I did the art and Tim from Orab games did the actual level design. That's a guy who can design some levels. Right. I mean, they just shout out to Timmy right there. Ooh, they come naturally to him. But, uh, yeah, that was sort of, it's kind of like a version of it, but not really like, cause it was different enough, but it's still the same engine. It's still the same game under there. That the scare carts each year that Kev puts out, that Kev bought, um, they're spectacular. Oh, I know you love those scare I'm a carts. big fan of that series. And this 2017 was near and dear to my heart because it was the incident. And, you know, Timmy made some new levels. I got to toot my own horn. I got through it in one pass. But <laughs> it's a it's a great it's a great uh, piece for the Nintendo Age community. Man, between Tim's, Kevin's, Brian's, we need some new names in this place. Yeah, sorry. That's okay. Hey. Yeah, we don't want no Gregs. No, no Gregs. No, no you Gregs. can say that. He's not here. Um, so, yeah. Um, overall, it, The Incident is one of the better games that's come out from the community over the years, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's... Well, it's still out. We can still get it. It's affordable. It's worth every penny, in my opinion. Actually, the price has come down from when it was yeah. initially Yeah, card released. only. It's like 40 bucks. Yeah. What the hell? Yeah. And, uh, you know, let's get it on Steam. And definitely, this call to action, we got to get some people making some levels. Yeah. Let's get that second incident out and, uh, you know, have something new to play. And hopefully, you know, we can get people create new levels and talk Kevin into actually producing it on cart so we can have another version. One will hope. Well, thank you for coming on, Tim. Uh, Thanks for having me. I loved it. Yeah. it's. uh, We'll get to more about you in a minute but uh, when you're not here. Oh, oh boy. Uh, but yeah, this is Tim from Retrotainment. He's done, he's been integral to the Haunted Halloween series, uh, Retrotainment games, which they've been engaged with some, some re-releases of officially licensed stuff and just doing a lot in the community. And uh, yeah, it's great to have you on. Hey, thanks for having me. Over and out. And so past successes aside, because, you know, the incident was way back in 2015. Uh, what else have you been working on, Kevin? 
Oh man, uh, what I've been working on. Well, <clears throat> it's been a decently busy time in my life lately. Um, been looking for a house. Uh, work's been a little busy. Uh, in a new relationship, so oh. not spending as much time at home um, tinkering on the computer. But Facebook status um, update. <laughs> yeah, if I still had Facebook, oh. for sure. Um, but f- what little time I have, um, I don't know. Like thinking of working on Nintendo stuff, it just seems so intense. Like you really have to sit down and like get your mind right. Um, for I do anyway. Um, so I just, it's been a little bit intim- intimidating for me to think about sitting down and, and coding for the NES. So, um, I've had this sort of interest reemerge. Um, I guess not a lot of people know that before my love of, well, I guess it was about the same time, like around the same time I was getting into NES, I was really into classic computer games. So lately I've had this sort of resurgence in interest in sort of playing some of the old PC DOS games that I grew up with. So I've started sort of exploring the thought of maybe learning to code uh, old DOS stuff. But it's not, uh, I know that wouldn't interest a lot of people, you know, listening. So I don't want to get into too much detail there. And and it's probably just going to be a passing interest like most other things. But yeah, like right now, I'm just having a lot of fun with that. So NES wise, uh, Jack Squat is what I've been doing. You know, in Bo Speak, we call the playing of old games to get ideas research. Ah, yes. I've been doing a whole lot of research. See, you just gotta <laughs> give it a spin, and then it's like, oh, I've been doing positive things with my time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, plus I've been playing Octopath Traveler, which has been a lot of fun. So yes, more research on multiple systems. But enough about my lack of activity. What have you been up to? I am actually in a very strange, weird, probably once-in-a-lifetime situation at the moment, uh, which has just been kind of crazy for the last month and a half. Uh, Tim and, and Greg of Retrotainment invited me to come to Pittsburgh for to help them put together the Mega Man X and Mega Man 2 uh, re-release that is being done by IM8Bit. And so it's, uh, it's a reproduction, which is, as we talked about in episode number one, not a homebrew. But it, it's strange <laughs> in that it's a licensed reproduction. It actually has like Capcom's blessing. And so... I am building the games for my favorite company as a kid until I discovered Squaresoft because they're way better. Uh, and so it's it's really weird. I mean, I I wish it was Mega Man 3 or Mega Man 5 because those are my, my personal favorites. But uh, it's yeah. kind of strange to be like hand assembling real as real as they can be in 2018 NES and Super NES games. Uh, for for an official company, it's just it's mind blowing to me. I I yeah, can't wrap my like, head around it. It's a company that legit made NES games back in the day, and they're legit at least commissioning a new NES game, and you're putting it together. Yeah, I mean we're literally the hands that are putting it together. It's the three of us like screwing together and testing and putting labels on all these games that are that are coming out. Which to how me, how many is... do you have to make? Oh, like 17,000. Oh, that's it. You know, I'm used to doing runs of like 100 in a week and suddenly we're just <laughs> like, this is all I do right now. And it, it's it's awesome. And, and it's really neat being around a couple guys that 
live and breathe homebrew 24 7 like it's uh just the just the 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 synergy and the amount of ideas that are bounced off like what if we did this or what if we did that like i have no clue what could come of all this and so it's very exciting uh it's all living you're living like what what little time we would have at an expo when we get together with other developers and like that euphoria of like being around people that are into this stuff you're getting to live that for months oh yeah and and we eat a lot of fast food which is great it's like being on the road Uh, (laughs) tim and i went through a closed out bonton and found a bunch of old like crts and like just crazy stuff Ooh, including a texas instruments monitor Uh, like every day is a little adventure I'm, i'm living in tim's basement right now this is the first podcast where we've ever had where kevin and i are have ever been in the same room as somebody else to do an interview and we're sitting in literally a long john silver's booth in tim's basement uh having this (laughs) conversation like were you sitting beside each other no we did not we did not share a side (laughs) not there's anything wrong with that right Um, right, right. and we actually went to long john silver's earlier today uh strangely enough and your fix oh yeah man if you have to I, i got a whole like basket of crumbs but Anyways, uh, so yeah, it's it's a weird time in life. Uh, I've, it's also allowed me to do some extra book research for the uh, the the homebrew history book that I'm working on. Oh yes. yeah, I actually got to go visit Derek from Gradual Games this past weekend because I kind of use this as an excuse to come down and see some some what, Pennsylvaniaers. <laughs> do, do they have any Quakers? Pennsylvaniaites. Yeah. Oh, Quakers. Are, is that? just pennsylvania though no that's a religion um because <laughs> they sit in quake but it was founded you know the, the quaker dude <laughs> anyways uh pennsylvania errs they there are as many if not more homebrewers in pennsylvania than there are in indiana which those are the two states that have the most um, wow i of course come from indiana which is not a point of pride always but sometimes they do a few things, right? You can finally buy alcohol on Sundays. So yeah, I got to go visit Derek from Gradual Games last weekend. Him and his wife, Lori, who does all the art for uh, Gradual Games. And that was just a blast. Like I, I mean, I subjected them to like a five or six hour nonstop interview, which was awesome. Learned so much. Yeah, you think, you think the podcast might go a little long sometimes. Get me in a room with you. Yeah, uh, I'm not being in that book. That's not, yeah, we'll that's, see. that's too long. We'll see. I'll just stay the week. Uh, we'll be able to cover everything. <laughs> in my new house. In your new house. Um, but he, at the end of the night, which I'm not a night person. If you've ever seen me at a show or anywhere, I check out at about 930 in the evening and I'm just, <laughs> I'm worthless. I mean, technically work-wise, I'm worthless after about noon, but <laughs> socially I'm worthless after about nine or 10. And we were up till... I think we made it to one in the end, but at some point wow. he was like, do you want to check out my new game? Uh, we played the music for it back in episode three, maybe. And it's called trophy. Oh yeah. Trophy. Yeah. You know that one? I do. Yeah. And it is phenomenal. It is just, I mean, Nomalos was hard and I don't know if it's good because it's too hard. I can't actually play it. And Aulia, I was one of the testers on that. It was great. And it was, you know, sort of a Zelda like, but trophy trophy like is beyond it is it is great. 
I, I use that word way too many times, but it, it is great. Wow. I mean, it's so good. And it, he's Derek's so hard on himself. He's like, oh, it's, you know, it's just a Mega Man 4 clone. And, oh, people aren't going to like it because it's, you know, nothing new. Not like Sokoban. Right. And it is so well done. Like his level of polish and his level of thought with the levels and the designs and Lori's art and Derek's music. It you would never confuse this with a licensed game. It is a licensed game. Like it's it's at the top of the catalog. I played through the entire thing in one sitting, which I cheated because I kept I kept exploiting bugs in it to progress myself through the levels. But, uh, <laughs> you know, cause I'm, I'm a cheater. So but, it's not uh, done. No, it's very close to being done. It's it's within. Yeah, he's uh, he's always skeptical. So he's like, ah, three years. Then he's like one year. Then he's like, ah, it's 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 out today. <laughs> you see, you just never know with him, but I foresee based on the bug situation and, and they're, they're easy bugs to fix. I mean, he fixed one within 10 minutes. He said already, cause he, he at some point he broke out the uh, notebook and was like, I need to start taking notes, I think. And I was like, Oh, you do whatever you want. I'm just going to keep playing. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. So probably in the next year, I would say it'll probably be out within the next year. And if it's not game of the year, 28, 2019, that's only because we have found better things in the community. Like the level of, of craftsmanship with all of this is just to new heights. Where does it rank compared to lizard in your brain? Ooh, you're going to go there. Yeah. Well, like I'm trying to put this in perspective for me right now. Lizard's going to be tough to beat probably always because it's more the style right, of the right, game right. with that. It has nothing to do with polish, has nothing to do with graphics, has nothing to do with music. Although I love, all those categories in both games, but it's just that open exploration. I like, whereas trophy is very level based. It's very much like mega man where, you know, you got your eight levels, you play through the level, you fight a boss. I didn't even talk about the bosses. These are hands down the biggest bosses in any NES game period. What? Like he, he literally has, you know, like you get to the end of mega man, you fight the giant, like yellow thing that shoots crap. Yeah. Yeah, and he, he's huge. And you're like, oh, that's great. Or you get to the dragon, or you get to the dragon and little Samson, or some of these other things. But Derek has sat there and made not one boss, not the end boss to be giant, but every single boss is just huge. And it's, it is amazing. I mean, they're creative. Lori just sort of went to town with, with the designs. And I saw some of the sketchbooks. They're great. He, like, chicken scratches these, like, vague things, and then she turns them into these pieces of 8-bit art it's it's just amazing oh man um wow so i'm i'm legit excited for that like i'm a little jealous that i didn't have time to talk to you about it before we were actually recording a podcast i know i know it's sort of bad but i've been saving (laughs) it for you i was so tired the other day and alia the last game alia almost got uh featured on the last episode it was in the voting with lizard it tied and then after the fact, after we sat down and played and went to go record, it, it got pushed ahead. So I don't know what to do with Derek now. Do we do we wait for trophy? Do we just record an Alia one? I we shall see, world. Yeah, there's a lot to talk to him about. Mm-hmm. So has anything been going on in the community these days? Oh, the community. I've heard <laughs> some things. Tell me some things. Well, I just told you about trophy. Oh well, tell me some other things. So. There's this game. It's called Battle Kid. I don't know if you've heard of it. I have spoken the words 
yeah, once yeah, or twice. Like Mega Man Battle Kid. I think we've we've done this before. Um, yeah. But yeah, Sivak has decided to re-release the first Battle Kid. Uh, it's got a new title called Battle Kid Dangerous Trap instead of Fortress Apparel, and it has Fortress Apparel. That sounds like <laughs> that sounds like, like clothing. clothing. Yeah, <laughs> Fortress of Peril. You have to forgive me. I am a Hoosier. We cannot speak all the time. <laughs> it's true. We we have problems with short days, but. Yeah, it's being re-released, and it's not being re-released through Retro USB. It's not even being re-released on the NES. It's being re-released on the Famicom. But why does it have a new name? It has a new name because it's a new game. But it's a re-release. Well, it is and it isn't. So it's a re-release, but he tweaked it. Like He didn't just like flash it to Famicom boards and push it out. He took the time to like balance portions of the game that you know a lot of us felt were unfair. I mean, he wanted to remake... I want to be the guy. The rest of us wanted to play Mega Man 8 or 12 <laughs> or whatever is not part of the canon for the NES. And he he made too hard of a game. Like, a lot of us did not enjoy it. I mean, a lot of people did. A lot of people just ate it up. You know, every room's a puzzle and you got to be perfect and, you know, slit your wrists and all that. The select button. But uh, for the rest of us normal people, it was too hard. And he fixed a lot of that in Battle Kid 2, which we'll get to on a different episode. Uh, but for Battle Kid 1, he has put back in some of that. Like, easy mode, you now have seven hits before you... I think it was seven hits before you're dead? Uh, yeah, something like that. A, a lot more than one hit. Uh, right. Even two so it's now okay. possible... It's possibly playable now. <laughs> yes, it for the us the pod. For us mere mortals. Yes, uh, mere mortals. It may be playable at this point. And... He balanced some other sections that are not, you know, he had sections where you just like landed on spikes and stuff. And it doesn't matter how many hit points you have then because you die the first shot every time. So he balanced some of those out. And then he also redid some of the graphics throughout the game. Uh, just to not quite sure why we shall see what, what exactly those changes were. But I, I'm curious, like I want to give it another try. Perhaps we shall have another episode on Battle Kid one of these days. Ooh. That'd be interesting. <laughs> I hadn't pitched that to you until now, apparently. No, I'm, we will discuss it because that's an interesting idea. Maybe we, uh, maybe we would change our long-standing opinions on Battle Kid. Wouldn't that be something? That may be. And if you want to see that happen and you fear that Kevin may not make that happen, please write into the assembly line <laughs> at gmail.com and tell him otherwise. Or tweet at him at a ton of glaciers. Or myself, at Solgoose. <laughs> Any of the above will get you the results you want. Do all of that. Um, Brian, as you and I know, and maybe some of our listeners, um, Brian from Retro USB has been dropping some beta ROMs of his Christmas uh, 2018 cartridge. Yeah. So how would you describe, you know, each each year's Christmas entry is very different than the last. How would you describe this year's? Um. If you've played the old computer game Ski Free, uh, it's going to look a little similar to that, I think. Um, you have sort of a mountainous area that is, you're skiing down. It's almost, I guess it is, isometric, dodging snowmen and, and such. Um, it's just a downhill skiing game. Yeah, it's always, it's always fun to watch Brian when he gets into a project on the programming side because... 
you know it's going to be technically hard to do and that nobody else in the community could probably do it. <laughs> and he makes such quick progress. Like when he finally finds time to program, because he's always like, oh, my kids, my kids, I got no time. But like when he sits down to program, it's like, oh, I ripped this out in in 40 minutes. Here's this super impressive thing that would have taken me, you know, two months to do. And you can find that on uh, the development thread on Nintendo Age under Xmas 2018 colon Dev on Drugs. <laughs> so yes, after post surgery, he has been on a lot of painkillers, and he is just hammering this out. Like if if I could just program normally the way he does on drugs, uh, the world would be <laughs> a happier place. He's a lot of fun when he's on drugs, though, isn't he? Oh, isn't he? <laughs> so what else has been going on hh86 um, sorry for those not in the know because i know kevin hates some acronyms haunted halloween 86 uh which uh, was done by retrotainment tim and greg who we talked to tim earlier or he talked to us that is coming out on xbox on friday august 24th xbox holy cow yeah this is a homebrew game being released on a real I hate to, I hate when I do that but it's a real <laughs> modern platform like it's That's... not this backwoods hobbyist you need to be in the know this is this is going to be released for the world yeah so NES homebrew has done like steam but is this the first move to like a current modern platform other than I think coffee crisis for the genesis has been ported to the Xbox as well this is kind of the first NES game that is that is wow. reaching a modern audience, and it's gonna be that's something. Of, yeah, it's, it's gonna be exciting to watch. Like it, it could do great. It could fail. It could anything in between. But the fact that it's made it, yeah, like this might set a new pe- a precedent. Like when the first game moved to PC, like oh wait, you're telling the homebrewers like oh that's an option. Now yeah. people might be seeing like oh xbox we can put our games on wow this is yeah i'm really excited to see this yeah and living and working with tim it has not been easy to get it there but it's there and like despite all the hurdles i mean these guys just press through so much to to do what they do and it's finally there like it's happening It, it almost happened once about a month ago but then like there were some problems and some glitches and it fell through and like you know panic hour but it is all figured out and should be available to download pretty much whenever you hear this. That is really exciting. Oh, did you uh, did you see that Zapper Kickstarter that ended recently? Oh, the one where you can play Duck Hunt on HDTV? Yes. How much would you spend to play Duck Hunt on an HDTV? Well, if I had the funds, I would clearly spend $120,000. <laughs> Well, you nor anyone else, it seems, has the funds to do that because all 12 or whatever of the people that uh, backed it, I mean, it's just there's there's not enough interest to make a machine that you can play not all the Zapper games, but just Duck Hunt. It just adapts your Zapper to play Duck Hunt. Well, so what was the project? Describe it for me. Um, So it was basically, man... I'm going to feel like a fool if I'm getting this wrong, but isn't it just an adapter that basically changes the timing or something? 
that hooks up to your Nintendo to where the zapper is detected on the LCD? Okay, so you got a couple of problems when using a zapper on an HDTV. As any of you know that have tried to play Duck Hunt or whatnot on the Power Pack through the ABS with an HDTV, the zapper was built around the CRT technology, like with the, with the timing delays and stuff, which HDTVs do not have, and they're variable across the, the different HDTVs. So... These folks, and it's a great idea, like it's super awesome that you'd be able to play these old games that can't be played because they're dependent on CRT technology. You'd be able to play them on a modern platform or television, but you have to do certain things to do that. So you have to modify your gun by installing a new PCB and also modifying your duck hunt cartridge by putting like a pass through adapter, sort of like the... uh, the early NES games, some of them came with a Famicom uh, converter. It's it's basically like that, except it, it patches the hack, I think is what they're doing, hmm. to that. And so you have these two things, and you have to pay 120 bucks for them, and then you can play Duck Hunt for 10 minutes and put it back in the closet. <laughs> but you can play Duck Hunt. You can play Duck Hunt on a CRT, and... You know, if the goal had been set lower at ten or twenty thousand bucks, it possibly would have gone. But a hundred and twenty thousand dollars with a hundred and twenty dollar buy-in, like yeah, it's just not going to happen. It was it was sad to see it not succeed, but it didn't succeed for the wrong reasons, in my right. opinion. Yeah. Yep, and I think the general consensus was like maybe if it worked with all the Zapper games maybe they would consider that price point but mm. i mean with just duck hunt i don't know it's weird i have some homebrew zapper ideas that i would love to see happen but i also know that the people who would buy such a game probably have a crt sitting around that they already have hooked up and can play it on like i don't know it was it was it was weird it, it's it's homebrew related but it's also you know on the hardware side but it was it a just, cool idea yeah for sure yeah, and hopefully something comes of it. Like they they talked about how they had to pay for research and development and all this, but most homebrewers are in some level hobbyists, where we realize that the amount of effort we put in is not going to be reflective of what we end up making off of it. Not at all. Like that's more the hobbyist mentality than whatever we may have talked about earlier. Yeah, our research and development <laughs> yeah. is on our time. <laughs> yeah, that, that that that's a hobby. Yes. But in other slightly sad news, it looks like Project Blue, which, uh, no, that didn't win the NES dev competition. That came in second. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> well, no, it, it came in first in my book, but right, it right, right. came in second officially. Uh, has been delayed a little bit. Uh, Franken Graphics and Toggle Switch have kind of announced that they don't want to launch the project until it is completely 100% mostly kind of back to 95 percent done and they're projecting sort of an early 2019 release well this was this was the game from the competition right did they expand it in some way yeah yeah the competition only had one level this has four yeah it's it's quite a bit bigger still sticking with a lot of like the limited constraints but it'll be good to see i'm never upset when a game is delayed i figure it's delayed for good reason and the good reason is that it's going to be a better game if we just wait. So Yeah, yeah, and 
sometimes it's not a good reason. Like people are just lazy, but these no, the people working no. on this game are truly like masters of their craft and it is going to be worthwhile. Yeah. So I'm actually more excited than depressed about it. Not, not quite being done. And yeah, between Nebs and Debs, Micromages and a few other Kickstarters that are coming out pretty soon. Like I could use the break financially. So yeah, push it back <laughs> to January. You have my money then. It'll be it'll be good to see. I'm excited because I wanna I, I played it a little bit, you know, on the in an emulator on the computer when the competition games came out, but I'm excited to actually sit down and play the game on my system. Um yeah, I'm I'm excited that it's getting a full release like this. You'll be interested to know that there's a level editor and they would like you to create levels. <laughs> Not interested. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so what are we going to close this episode out with? Uh, do you want music from Nebs and Debs or do you want some music from Trophy? Well, honestly, I can't say that they're not both great options, but you talked up Trophy so much. Oh, and it took me by such surprise. All right. I All feel right. like I need to hear some of this. Oh, man. We, we listened to an early track about a year ago now. Over a year. No, about a year ago now. And I I don't know if he's changed anything throughout the game, but I don't even know if the song is still in there because, you know, I was I was playing it and I don't listen to these episodes after they're released. But his music was so good and his huh. creative process was to listen to the best of Mega Man music and just to go with what he's inspired by. Do you know what a clavichord is? A clavichord? Yeah. Yeah, it's like a, the type of piano used in... Uh... Like the 14, 1500s? Do you know a man who has one in his house? <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, yes, you do. Holy cow. Derek from Gradual Games has like this amazing looking clavichord. I set something on it and I was like, should I be setting stuff on this? He's like, yeah, it's sturdy. It's fine. <laughs> and I was just like, I don't, I feel like we should be hushed when speaking in its presence. Oh, that's hilarious. Like, yeah. he, it seems like he's always very quick to, like, point out things that other people can do or that other people have. And he has this amazingly unique musical instrument in his house. <laughs> yeah, and he can play it, uh, which is wow. even more shocking. Like, uh, just the humility. It, it was wonderful to, to talk with him more. But, yeah, the music has just, for this game, is just awesome. He would listen to Mega Man 5. Then he would just go write whatever he was inspired by. And that is what we have in Trophy, which none of you can play, but I have played. Sorry. You son of a... I am so what such, song? A, such a dick. Uh, <laughs> what that song up. are we going to hear? Uh, we are going to hear track number seven and a half. And thanks for listening. <laughs>